Hello there, everyone. Welcome back to Running the 615 Podcast. This is your host, Drew Jones. You are listening to episode 17, and today our guest is Christy Brown-Wright. I met Christy back when she was Christy Brown at the East Nasty Running Club. It was probably 2009 when we met, and her now husband, Matt Wright, was also back there in the early East Nasty days. We have another Running the 615 first in this episode. It's the first time that the episode was actually recorded outside of the Running 615 studio. Christy works for Dave Ramsey Solutions, as many of you know. Christy has her own show that she records at Ramsey headquarters here in Nashville. And she invited me to come record this episode here in her studio, which was a super cool experience. Christy was born and raised in Nashville. She went to high school here, and then she went to college at UT Knoxville. And then she came back to Nashville, where after college, she had a few different jobs before she landed at Dave Ramsey. And we talk about all of that in this episode. We cover plenty of other topics. We talk about Christy's running and what it means to her. We discuss her career and how she ended up with her job as an author, speaker, and certified business coach. We talk about managing her time when it comes to family, career, and exercise. We talk about her faith and what motivates her to be the best she can for herself and thousands of others. And at the end of this episode, like always, we have a Running the 615 Speed Sessions where we ask Christy a lot of questions in a small amount of time. Christy Wright is very successful, not only in business, but in life. After listening to Christy speak, it is easy to see why she coaches other women to be successful in both life and business as well. If you don't already follow Christy on social media, then I am quite certain you will follow her after listening to this episode. She is super engaging. She is very real and she is very inspiring. Christy, as you can imagine, is very busy and I was super thankful that she found the time to sit down to talk with me. We talked about running, we talked about work, relationships, inner thoughts, hope, music, of course, Nashville. We basically covered it all in this episode. I've said this many times before, but I will say it again. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast and referring it to your family and friends. To date, we have had over 7,000 downloads of Running the 615, which sounds like a lot to me. I'm extremely thankful for the support I have received so far. At the end of the day, this is a hobby that I enjoy, but The purpose of this podcast has always been for people to have something to listen to when you're out on a run or a jog, and of course, to give our guest a chance to tell their story. So again, everybody, thank you so much for your support. All right, let's get to it. Here we go. Episode 17 is a great one. I know you'll enjoy listening to this super fun conversation. Here we go. The star of The Christy Wright Show and the author of Business Boutique, The Christy Brown Wright. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Running the 615. This is your host, Drew Jones. This is a Running the 615 first. Not only are we not in the Running 615 studio, we're having someone help record this. This is not me. This is professionally done. We are with Christy Brown right at her place of work, Dave Ramsey. Christy, I've known you for a long time. You were always Christy Brown to me, but you prefer Christy Wright. Is that correct? <laughs> it's funny. My mom still calls me Christy Brown. I guess it just has a ring to it. So I don't correct people. I'm like, yep, yeah, that's just that's how they remember me. <laughs> no doubt. I met Christy uh, long ago in the East Nasty Run group, which we've talked about on this podcast. 
and she has gone on to become quite the sensation in Nashville and kind of across <laughs> the country. But we're going to start off first about running. Christy, yeah. that's when we first met. But I want to talk about your running career and just really when running first became a part of your life. And then then we'll get to the Dave Ramsey and Nashville part. But tell me first, when was the first time you remember running in your life? Yeah, it's funny because I've talked about this before. In middle school, we it was a really cool thing to go to the skate center. Like all my friends went to the skate center every single weekend and they had skate races. And I was too intimidated to join the skate races. I wasn't a great skater. But at the end of the night, if you stayed until they closed, which we all did, then before your parents picked you up, they had foot races and everybody put their skates away and you put on your tennis shoes and you'd start at one end of the rink and run to the other. And they did about age groups of boys and girls were together. And I remember entering that one day, just like, well, maybe I can do this. You know what I mean? Just something for fun. You get like a free icy if you win. So I was like, hey, it's worth a try. And I got in that race and I won and I beat all the girls and all the boys. And that sounds so simple to be a 10 year old winning an icy, but that wasn't the takeaway for me, Drew. It was the first time I realized something I was good at. And it was through this this silly race at the skate center. I was like, oh, I, I might be a good runner. I might be fast. I might, I might have something unique to offer. And so I wouldn't say that that propelled a running career, but it helped me identify that it was something I could possibly do well. And then in middle school, I decided to join the track team. I shared this with you earlier, but not necessarily because I was such a running fanatic, but I had tried out for about every other sport. I tried out for basketball, didn't make the team, tried out for soccer, didn't make the team, tried out for cheerleading, didn't make the team, but track, they didn't make cuts. So they let me stay. There you go. So I joined the track team and that really started a love of, of sprint distances that continued through high school, where I was on the 4x100, 4x200, ran the open 4, open 8, and I realized I was fast. But what's interesting is, in high school, when I was doing all these sprint distances, I kind of took on this identity of, I'm a sprinter, I'm not a distance runner, and that became a hurdle for me, I guess, later in life, when I had this idea to do a distance run, to do a full marathon or half marathon, because I was like, oh, I don't know if I can run that far. You know, I'm a sprinter. I run short distances. But it really started for me in just middle school, you know, the fact that they let me stay on the track team. <laughs> or middle school rolling rink. There were two yeah. events I was good at called reverse skate and couple skate. Oh, yeah. Holding the hands? If that oh, was the competition, sure. that's where I John thrived, John Michael Montgomery. Actually. Yes. Just yes. put on that slow country, and it's just romance on the straight skating rink. That's a neat thing, though, <laughs> that I've not in all my running days and people I've talked to, I have not heard that doing the run on the rolling rink afterwards was like somebody's first memory of running. That's pretty cool. I mean, it's kind of like sprints, right? But it's just a flat out race on the rolling rink. Yeah. And you never, I mean, when you're little, you just run around the playground. Like running isn't sure. a sport you're even aware of as a child, unless you have parents that like get you into races and training. You just run for fun, for play. You don't think about it in terms of racing, training, a competition, or as a sport. So I think that that was the first time I realized that you could do something competitively that would fuel something in you. you sure. Know? Well, and you know, from someone who's watched a lot more running than I've done it successfully myself, high school running is exciting, especially in the relay races. And as the meets get you know longer, the races get more exciting. Do you remember the feeling in high school of having a competitive spirit about you and running these races and having any kind of expectation for what you wanted your results to be? Yeah, I think for me, and this is carried true even into adulthood, I always really like to push myself. So I like to see like, what can I do? I loved the team races where it was like the relays four by 100, four by 200, because I love the handoffs and the baton and the team camaraderie. But with anything, I just love to see what I was capable of. And I think a racing environment 
allows you to do that, to try some new challenge. Well, you fast forward to being an adult now and, and look at Country Music Marathon. I run that race almost every single year, but I try to add a new challenge to it. And so I've run the full in 2009. In 2010, if you remember, they cut us off at like 22.5 miles yeah. because of the storms. And then multiple years after that, I ran it uh, 12 weeks after having my first son, Carter. I ran it five months pregnant with my second child, Conley, and then trained for it with Mary Grace, my daughter, and made it up to 10 miles before the pain, you know, like the, the pregnancy pain. Sure. So I just like to try to push myself. And I think I learned that in the, the high school track days of like, what are some new challenges or new, can you hit a new time? Can you have a better handoff? Can you try an event? That I did the pentathlon senior year. I'd never done that. Like just pushing the limits. You know, I don't want to get comfortable and be like, well, I'm going to run another 5k in the same time, 10 right. years in a row. What's something new that I can push myself to see what I can do. I really enjoy that. Sure. I mean, that's what one of the cool things about running is it allows you that opportunity. And I know, you know, a lot of people that see, especially track meets, and you mentioned sprints, they're short distances, they're relatively over quick, but they're painful quick too. I mean, an 800 distance on a track is painful. Even a 100, even though it's a, it's a dead sprint, it hurts. And there is something about putting yourself in an arena where you know it's quote unquote suffering and you learn that you're going to get through that and feel better on the other side of it. Just one of the neat aspects of running. Yeah, I think my, so my favorite race in high school was the 400. And that's usually most people's, they hate that race. Mm. It's terrible because it's the longest true sprint where you're trying to give it all you've got. You don't pace yourself, you give it all you've got, but it's the longest distance. Before you start an 800, you'd pace a little bit. And the reason I loved it is because... You're going as fast as you can, but it's long enough to enjoy it because the 100 and 200, you blink and it's over. Mm -hmm. The 400, you have a second to like look around you and like take it all in. Like this is incredible. Like the bright lights and the people cheering and the people next to you, ahead of you, behind you. Like you can actually enjoy it for a second. And I think that's one of the things that even though it's the hardest race, I think that's what makes me enjoy it. You know? Sure. Yeah. So moving forward, you said you ran your first marathon in 2009, went to high school here in Nashville, college in Knoxville. And then when you came back here, 2008, 2009 was when the East Nasty Running Group was getting started in East Nashville. Small group back then. It's much bigger now. What do you remember about that running group getting started and then kind of getting into the running? And, you know, especially at the start, we were all just really into running yeah. at that time. You know, what's funny is what East Nasty did for me at that time of my life was so much more than just running. The community, that did something for me at a stage in my life when, to be honest, um, and we can talk about even my work here, I started working here in 2009. It was the fall of 2009. And I thought I'd, I'd been kind of lonely. All my friends were getting married. I was 25, I think, at the time. And most of my friends were married. And I just felt like, you know what? I just want to be around people that are my age. I want to like have a friend group that's not with their husbands every weekend. I want to go do stuff. And I thought, working for Dave Ramsey, this is going to be so great. I'll meet all these new people. I'll have all these new friends. This will be awesome. Well, I started here. And at that time, there was about 200 people in the company. It's about 1,000 now. So it was much smaller. But Drew literally every person was married. Every person. So I'd be like on these work trips and they'd be all talking about their kids and they'd look at me and there's this awkward silence. Be like, so Christy, how's Jackson? How's your dog? And I'm like, oh my God, I've never been so aware that I'm single. And so I really joined the running group for friendship. And what was so cool is where leading up to me joining East Nasty in the fall of 2009, 
I felt like maybe there was something wrong with me. Maybe God had forgotten me. Maybe I had been overlooked. I was single. Maybe something was wrong with me that everybody was married and I wasn't. And this just confirmed it, coming to work at this conservative Christian company where a lot of people were already married at a young age. And I joined this group and it's everyone is 25 to 35 and they're runners and they go to trivia nights and they go to happy hours and they go camping and they have fun and they're living their life. And it made me feel so normal. That community really did something for me at a season in my life when I felt like maybe something was wrong with me. It was friendship and it was fun and it was adventure. And oh, by the way, we ran. Running to me was the icing on the cake, but it did something for me much deeper than that. I'm forever grateful for that. Oh, for sure. Well, I've said that on this podcast before. I mean, the running was what the group was about. It was why it started, but very quickly it became the social component and the relationships that were just more what you thought about when you thought about uh, East Nasty. Uh, I do remember the founder, Mark Miller, at one point in time early on, he's like, I just, I don't want this to turn into a dating club. And I was like, well, you're too late yeah. there. But <laughs> yeah. I was like, wheels are already in motion. Uh, Segway, you met a guy there by the name of Matt Wright, who is an incredibly nice guy. I know people throw that term around a lot, but he is just one of the nicest people I've ever met, really. Also from Florence, Alabama, where I went to college. So I'm a big fan of his just for that alone. But tell me about when you guys first met and just uh, how that started. Well, it's funny because so backstory, I have some kind of wounds from my childhood. And I prayed my entire life, like even in high school, I remember praying this, that the man that I would marry would see me first and pursue me. Like I just wanted to be pursued. I had this deep kind of wound from my past that I felt like I just wanted that in my relationship with my husband. And so fast forward to East Nasty, Matt Wright is introduced to me through my blog. A friend of his had sent me my blog. And so he reads all about me, like on my about page or whatever. So he kind of saw me first, if you will. But then he starts running with East Nasty with his friend. And we got some mutual friends through the process. But he was interested in me from day one. And I was not interested from day one. Like day one, I was like, no way, not interested. And I could see that he was super nice. In fact, I thought that was one of the problems, Drew. I was like, I'll run all over him. This is a disaster. He's so nice that he needs someone sweet and gentle. And I am not that girl. So anyway, he pursued me for seven months. It was seven months that year. And I had a really hard year in other ways. And I felt it's a cool God story because... All year when I was going through some kind of what I would describe as a wilderness in different ways, I felt God keep saying, just hang on till August, hang on till August, hang on till August. So I thought, great, August things are going to get better. August things are going to turn around. August, August. Well, anyway, fast forward and there's one day when Matt calls me and I feel like I've kind of come out of this wilderness season and uh, I still am not interested in Matt. I'm still like, I know he he's interested, but I'm like, this is not the guy for me. And he calls me one day and he's like, hey, do you want to go get some ice cream and walk around REI? And I was like, sure, yeah. And so we go hang out. And something shifted in me that day. And my eyes were open to the most amazing man I'd ever met that was in front of me, where I truly feel like my eyes had been closed to him for those past seven months. And that was the beginning of us being inseparable. That was the beginning of us dating. That was the beginning of our relationship. And we look back on what was the day of ice cream and REI when my eyes were opened and it was August 1st. Wow. And it was just so cool to see how God, I truly feel like God closed my eyes to him, Drew, so that he could pursue me. And he didn't just pursue me. He pursued me when I was sweating and running and gross. I wasn't dressed up and cute. Like he loved me when I was not trying to be beautiful, not trying to impress him. 
And that foundation for our marriage is really incredible for me and what it and how it answers a prayer I've had my whole life. Yeah, man. Well, as I told you when I got here, I pursued my girlfriend for 10 years. So that's <laughs> an awesome answer because maybe she'll listen to this yeah. and feel the same way. <laughs> so also, I know from East Nasty, you had some great friendships that you built from that. Uh, tell me about some of the friends there that you've run a lot of miles with and still run with some today. Yeah, I think one of the things about running is if you get into running independently and you continue to run by yourself, then running can turn into just the grind, just logging the miles. Now, there's a place for running on your own and and what you can do. But when you have that community, whether it's a running group or something else or just a couple friends that you go with, it, you forget the miles. You don't even notice the miles are passing because you're just hanging out with your friends and you're just having fun. And so I was in the best shape of my life that during that time when I was in the running group. And it wasn't just because we were pushing each other. That was a piece of it. You're going to be better when you're running with people that are better. But what was cool is I remember there was one season, I feel like it was maybe the fall of 2010, maybe the fall of 2011. I can't remember. But the group, we were all running multiple races. So we were training for the women's half marathon here in Nashville while training for bourbon chase, while also training for something else. And so it was like, I was running, I mean, probably like seriously 15 miles a day sometimes. And that's not the long run. It was just like, we're going to do a morning run then we're going to hang out. And I was, I mean, it was, but it was just fun. You didn't even notice, but it didn't feel like, oh, we've got to do this because we have to get locked. It's like, hey, let's go out and do this and go grab some food afterwards. And yeah, it's just, I think those friendships, it makes you love running more and it makes you grateful for the friendships because, man, you bond over some miles. You, got, you get sure, to know man. each other. You said it, talking about Matt too, people see you at your worst when yes. you're on the back end of a, of a long run. I remember Bourbon Chase. That was I, We ran it the first year they had Bourbon Chase as an East Nasty team. I think there was actually a couple of them, but that's still, I think I've probably run four or five since then, but Bourbon Chase Relay is my favorite I've ever done. As that, far as a, did we do it the same year? Were you in the other team? So I was with David Conyus, Erica Tober. Yeah. So we had the other group. Mary Tom. So yeah, we had two, two separate yeah. groups. And if it's the year I'm thinking of, but I remember... I think it was the first year of the actual Bourbon Chase. So yeah. I remember at one point, and we're in these vans, and we're sleeping in the vans, and there was like 3 a.m. We were starving. We ate like gas station catfish. And you're like, in what world does creep. someone aspire yeah. to yeah. eat gas station? But we're like, this is so fun. We're like, we're just having the best time. <laughs> oh, man. You know, I loved it for sure. What's your favorite race you've participated in as a runner? I think country music. And the reason it's country music is because that race is really special to me. I ran that race. I ran my first full marathon was country music. And that was in 2009. That was the year it was really hot, if you remember. Like people were passing out. It was just like right, you trained in the cold. marathon yeah. distance course. Then the next year was they cut us off because the storm's at 22 and a half, but we just pushed through as much as far as they would let us. I trained for it when I got to know Matt. So I was training for that race whenever he and I met. I trained for it and ran it the week before my wedding in 2012. And then I have run it, like I said, right after having Carter, pregnant with Conley, and then you know trained for it with Mary Grace. And so I think to me, it's just that every single year, it just has such important milestones in my life that it's always really significant to me. Oh, man. Yeah. It's my favorite race, too. Wonderful answer. What would be your answer for why someone should start running? Like, why do you love it? Why would you encourage someone to do it? Well, I know this sounds like really like an academic answer, but have, I'm sure you've read the book Born to Run. For sure. So we're literally born to run. It's like some people might like a particular sport or another, but it's like the human body was created to run. And if you understand that, then it doesn't feel overwhelming like, oh, I don't have this special skill. I'm not a runner. It's like, no, the body is made to run. And what's amazing is 
if you get a little bit of coaching or a little bit of help, running actually can be fun for you. I remember in high school, I had a really good coach that trained me on the form and my stride where I just wanted to run everywhere like Forrest Gump because it was just easy and effortless. Whereas before I had not had the correct form, so it did feel hard and you know really difficult. And so I think if you understand that it's not just for certain types of people, it's not just for certain body styles, it's not just for certain personalities, there's something really awesome about it. You don't need any equipment. You don't need a certain location. It doesn't matter if it's coronavirus pandemic. You can do it anywhere, anytime. And I think that if you push yourself into that, you will develop not only a love of running, but I think it makes you like yourself more. I think it builds confidence in who you are, even if you're not an Olympian. It just, like, I'm not an elite runner. My fastest, you know, 5K is probably like 23 minutes or something like that. I'm not a super fast runner, but it makes me, it makes me like myself. It makes me confident in who I am. It makes me enjoy my body. And I think that's something that, anybody, man or woman, could use a lot more of. Sure. Well, I've seen you run and you are a really good runner and you are a fast runner. Even if you feel like you're not elite, you're, you're a really good runner. And I'm glad that you love it because that's a huge component to it. Describe to me your perfect run in Nashville. Where are you running? Who are you running with? What time of day? Best possible run in Nashville. So I guess having kids has made me more of a morning person, but it would be morning because it's like it's such a great way to start your day. It would be cool, you know, cool when you start where you think you need a long sleeve shirt, but you don't because you're going to warm up, which I learned from Mark Miller all about the 20 degree rule. Of like, you know, that's life changing in terms of uh, knowing. I got a lot of Mark Miller things yes. in my head, like to this day. It like, helps the you guy's prepare. Got some jewels. It yeah. helps you prepare for runs and especially races, knowing what to wear. But yeah, and it would just be with one friend. Uh, I think I really like just running with one person and you get to talk and pass the miles. And there's a specific run that Matt and I did during the whole East Nasty days. And it was, we did the 11-2 in Percy Warner and it was almost like a rainforest. Like it wasn't raining then, but it had been raining and it was just, but it wasn't humid. It was just like crisp and clean and shaded and beautiful. And yeah, I just, there's something about that where it's just a little bit of crispness in the air that I think makes you enjoy it and and makes you go further. (laughs) Sure, man. Percy Warner is the best. Love it. Love it. So let's move to Dave Ramsey. Uh, That's a big part of your life now. And a big part of your job with Dave Ramsey is public speaking. To most people, that's their biggest fear. People do not like talking in front of others. You do that for a living. Tell me what you love about your job and then talk about kind of your thoughts on what it's like to speak in front of you know, what sometimes is a thousand people or more. Yeah. So it's funny. I think that if someone would have asked me, you know, if I wanted to do this, I don't know what my answer would have been. I kind of got into it accidentally. I didn't set out to be a public speaker. I didn't have a dream or a plan to be an author or business coach. That was not even on my radar. I thought I was going to work at an advertising agency. I have an advertising degree. That was my plan. And so how I got into it is kind of cool. So I started working here in the fall of 2009, right around when I joined East Nasty at Ramsey Solutions, and I was a project manager, which meant I took care of all the kids' Bible studies, books, piggy banks. I I managed products and projects. And um, during that time, Dave Ramsey's daughter, Rachel Cruz, was going to be graduating college and coming on board our team. And she was going to be like the face of youth and teens. We didn't have other personalities or speakers or anything, but she was going to be kind of the face of our youth products. So someone in my department had organized a conference that they arranged for her to speak at that whole first summer after she graduated. And she was going to be at a different city every single day for 20 dates that whole summer, a thousand students per event. And it was just going to be a crazy travel schedule, but they thought, well, this will, you know, get her, her speaking reps up and get her some good experience or whatever. Well, somehow that spring, I inherited this arrangement between the conference and our company because I was over youth projects. And so I had to be the liaison. Well, two weeks before she's supposed to go on the road, 
we get the travel schedule and Drew, it's a disaster. Like it's two and three connections. You're in an airport 18 hours a day in these tiny towns. Like it was a way more than we committed to. And so I had to take that to Dave Ramsey, her dad and our CEO and get approval. And he's like, no, she's not doing this. This is more than we committed to. She can do 10, not 20. She can do 10. So I had to be the bearer of bad news to take this news back to the conference and say, hey, I know you think she's doing 20, but she's only going to be able to do 10. Well, I'm a kind of fly by the seat of my pants kind of girl, Drew. Like, I don't think a whole lot ahead. I think you're like this. It's like, I'm just going to, sure. I'm just going to wing it and see yeah. how this goes. It's when the best stuff happens. Yeah. And so I get on the phone with this guy and his name is Chase. And I said, I'm so sorry. You know, this is uh, more than we agreed to. She can't do these 20 days. She can do 10. And hey, you can pick which 10 she does, but um, she's only going to do 10. And he said, Christy, what am I going to do? I don't have her book for 10 dates. I have her book for 20 keynote presentations to a thousand students each. And it starts in two weeks. What am I going to do? And I said, I'll do them. And like, he I said, I know a girl. And, and he said, me. And he said, can you speak? I said, I think so. I've never spoken in my life, Drew. Never. Wow. I didn't ask permission. I didn't get approval. I just saw a problem and came up with a solution. And I went on the road that summer and I went to every single event that Rachel did and ran AV and went to the other events and did the, the keynote myself. So I literally was thrown into the deep end, threw myself apparently into the deep end of the first time I ever spoke was to a thousand students with zero prep, zero. I mean, we wrote out a talk. But That's that, the definition of thrown into the yeah, deep end right yeah, there. Yeah. A thousand people public speaking, yeah. never done before. Let's do this. Yeah. And I tell people all the time when they're scared of something, whether it's a business or starting a podcast or whatever the thing is, I'm like, you don't have to wait until you're not scared to do the thing you want to do. Fear is normal. You just do it while you're scared. And what I did that summer was I just faked it. You fake it until you feel it because after you get reps and experience, that confidence becomes authentic. But that first time I walked on that stage, I had no idea what I was doing. I was shaking in my shoes. I was completely faking like, hey, y'all, I'm so excited to be here. Terrified. Now when I walk on stage, I say, hey, y'all, I'm so excited to be here. I mean it, but I've right. done it for 10 years, but I had to fake it at first. And so I think for me, I did not realize what I was getting into. I just saw a problem and I solved it. And Sheryl Sandberg says that in her book. She says, most of the best best opportunities in life, especially in your career, don't come from positions that are posted. They're problems that you solve and that thing becomes your job. And that's literally what's happened because that summer, they that fall, they started a speakers group at our company, just slid me into it. No audition, no application, no interviews. Like, well, she did a good job. Let's let her keep doing it. That has evolved into the Ramsey personalities. Now I have a brand and a book and a, you know, it yeah. all just came from me saying, Hey, I'll do it. And there's an important lesson there too, because I think that people are waiting around for the perfect path to do something, anything. It doesn't matter. The marathon, whatever the thing is, it doesn't matter. They wait for this perfect path. They wait for proof that they can do it. And you don't get that in life. I just said yes before I knew how. I was like, I'm going to figure it out by doing it. So I'm going to go do it. And I think that's how you figure most things out in life. You figure it out by doing it. That's a cool story though. I mean, that's that's just neat that first of all, that, that you... There had to be something inside of you that recognized an ability to take on this task. I mean, I'm just willing to try stuff. I will right. say that I'm willing to try stuff. I don't know how it's going to turn out. I'm not the type of person that's like, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to nail it. I don't have that certainty, but I'm certainly willing to try Yeah, and give it a shot. Super cool. 
I love that that happened, and I and I love that you, you know, came out on the back end of that to what is now your career that you're really good at it, and and like running, you're a really good public speaker. So, yeah. God has a way of working things out uh, a lot of the time. There's a couple topics that I want to talk about that you've had lately on your social media that that I just think are, are neat topics for discussion. One that you very recently posted was that 91% of women do not like their body. That seems like a very high percentage number to me. Tell me about that post and just kind of, you know, what your thoughts are with that number. Yeah, I think it came from an article. I read an article that cited that. And I think just based on my own experience of people that I know, I think that rings true because it doesn't matter. What I've noticed is no one's exempt from it. It doesn't matter what size you are. It doesn't matter how fit you are, how low your BMI is, how it doesn't matter. I think that if what we tend to do is focus on the negative, when we look in the mirror, we may have a thousand things going right that we could be proud of, but we're going to focus on the one or two or three that we don't. And I think it's universal specifically for women and for regardless of age. Now, it may be a little bit different in, you know, the running community with athletes. I don't know that that's, I don't know how that applies, but I'm talking about just the female population. We tend to focus on the negative. And I think that can be really damaging because we think that our body is something that like, oh, well, that's this separate thing as if it doesn't affect our relationships, as if it doesn't affect our sense of confidence, as if it doesn't affect how we are in the workplace. But if you don't like yourself, it's really hard to love others. If you don't like this one home you have to live in, if you're always focusing on what's wrong with it, it's going to be really difficult to have confidence to go for your dreams or smile and hold your shoulders back in pictures or even just set a great example for your friends and for your children. And so I've just been digging into this and I'm part of that, Drew. Like, it's not like, oh, these are things other women struggle with and I don't, I've had kids and it's done weird things to my body that I'm not proud of. And so I live with that reality as well. And I think it just hits such a pain point when you realize our bodies are amazing and we have so much to be grateful for. The Just the other day, I was just compelled. I felt the need to write down, and this was actually part of my, my show yesterday when I did this episode on, on appreciating our body. I have journal questions at the end and I did those journal questions real time with my listeners as we were listening to it during the premiere yesterday. And it was like, write down what you're grateful for, everybody. I was like, I'm grateful for my strong legs. I'm grateful for my blue eyes. I'm great. And it's like, if you do that, you realize, wow, there's so many amazing things that we have to be grateful for, but we always focusing focus on what's not. And I think it's damaging our lives and our relationships in more ways than we realize. So I want to help women just feel set free to appreciate this body that we have. Sure. Absolutely. I don't think that running is a cure-all for everything, but some of the things you just pointed on, to me... Most of the times when I run, even if it's a small amount of time, there's at least something in your head that's like, golly, like, I don't want to do this. Like, this is not fun. Like, this, or there's something that hurts. Almost every run, you're kind of at a battle with someone in your head. And when you win that battle, you know, multiple times a week, months, over years, I just feel like running builds confidence inside of you because you put yourself in this arena and you come out on the other side of it almost every run you do. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. It it makes me think of the legally blind quote. It's like exercise gives you endorphins. Endorphins make you happy. Happy people don't just kill their husbands. I'm like, it really does build. It really does give you endorphins and it builds confidence. But here's what's interesting. I've never regretted a run. Even if it was a terrible run, even if it sucked, it was awful, it was painful. 
I'm glad I did it because I got through it and I'm proud of myself afterwards. And so I think something incredible happens when you do push through those barriers. And, and you say this all the time, but man, running is way more mental than physical. Marathons, way more mental than physical. And uh, there's something really powerful happening in overcoming challenges and overcoming limiting beliefs and overcoming our own self-doubt that running allows us to do that we think it's running. We think it's the leg muscles working. That's a piece of it. It's so much in our head. No doubt. Great segue, Christy. My next one is about a next question is about a post you had recently uh, as well. We have 60,000 thoughts a day. Is that right? It's crazy. So this is totally stolen from Jenny Allen. She has a new book out called Get Out of Your Head. And she cites research that the average person has up to 60,000 thoughts a day. And what's interesting is 80% of those thoughts are negative. 80% 80% of our thought 80% of the 60,000 are negative are negative. And so if you think about that, just imagine what an effect that has on your life on. So I'll give you an example, like there's practical consequences in our life. You text um, whoever's watching right now, listening right now. Let's say I text my mother-in-law and I ask her something and she doesn't text back. This starts up starts. See, I knew she never liked me. See, I knew she was weird last time we were over there and now she's giving me the silence. See, see, we have a negative thought pattern that then next time I talk to my mother-in-law, I give her the silent treatment or I act like a weirdo because I perceive that. He thinks of the delay on that text, mom. I know, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so what's interesting is if we can recognize this and control our thoughts, it will have actual fruit, actual benefits in our life where you then, your mother-in-law doesn't respond and you think your first thought is, I bet she's busy. I'll catch up with her later. Right. It's completely different when you understand that you have control over your thoughts. Train your mind. Yeah, but it has, it's got a power, it has a powerful effect. The story that I told when we did this episode for the Christy Wright show on the power of our mind and protecting your mind, I tell this story of when I went down to the lake house in Alabama, Matt and I have a little lake house in Alabama. And I was down there one night by myself and Drew, it's like all the lights are on. I'm watching the greatest. close to Florence? Yes, actually. It's in in Athens. It's on the Elk River. It's awesome. Awesome. I don't know where it is. I love it. It's awesome. So it's, I'm playing the greatest showman. I'm just having my best kid-free night by myself. This is such a gift. And in the middle of like all the lights are on, it's it's at night or whatever. It's like 10 10 o'clock. The power goes out. And we're in the country. So it's like, it is blacker than black. I can't see my hand before my face. And I start panicking because I'm like, the killer is outside. He's outside and he's coming to get That's me. Why the power is out? And he this is he cut the power. And this is the part in the movie when you go, girl, you better run. So I like, literally, after trying to light candles and then still being terrified, sitting in my living room with the butcher knife in my lap, like I, I got to protect myself when this killer comes inside. Finally, I just uh, blow out the candles, run to my car, and drive all the way back to Nashville. Matt was like, "Babe, I'm a little concerned about you driving so late at night." I was like, "I could drive to California. I'm so wired." Yeah. The power went out because of storms. The power went out, but but that's the power of our thoughts. I had an actual physical re- heart racing, palm sweating, you know, freaking out. It that wasn't true, but it doesn't matter because that's not what I believed. And I think a lot of people walk around every day believing lies that are not true, believing stories and narratives that are not true. I'm not a runner. I'm not a good mom. I'm never going to get married. My in-laws don't like me. And those are not true. Right. And they're they're holding you back in your life. And it's not even true. So I think if we can identify the truth and control our thoughts towards the truth, it's going to have a real powerful result in our life. Absolutely. Another great segue. It's no, I'm just, I'm yeah, just, leading, I mean, I'm just leading through this. You must have your own show. <laughs> You're just doing so well at this, Christy. Something you talk a lot about is hope. I love hope as well. It's one of my favorite things. Tell me what hope means to you. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, I'm a, I'm a person of faith. So a lot of this for me comes from what I, what we are 
called to have, what we are commanded to have, what we are a gift we are given as being a believer. But I, th- I think the big breakthrough for me. I love to spread hope in people's lives, like through my show and what we get to do. I love to help people have hope in their relationships and their finances and their businesses, whatever that is, to help them believe, believe not only in themselves, but believe in the goodness of what God has for them. I think that that's what hope is, is believing in the goodness of of the possibilities for the future. And so I love to do that. But I will tell you that one of the things that I experienced um, when I was pregnant with Mary Grace, and I didn't know it was a girl at the time. So I have two boys. And we, I was pregnant with our third and I was so grateful to be pregnant and so grateful to have a healthy baby and all that. And I just kept fighting this thought of wanting a girl, like really fighting it because it would creep up. And I'm like, no, 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 that's selfish. No, I should just be grateful to be pregnant. No, 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 I can't control that. So I don't want to get my hopes up. I don't want to be disappointed. I don't want to be let down. I can't control that. Statistics show if once you've had two boys, you're probably going to have another boy. All these thoughts in my mind. And I was in church one day. And I was praying, we were worshiping, and the thought came back again of just how much I wanted a girl. And I thought, no, I just, I can't get my hopes up. I just have to guard my heart. It sounds so Christian, right? I just got to guard my heart. I just got to guard my heart because I can't control that. I've just got to guard my heart. And I just felt God speak to me and say, you never have to guard your heart with me. I know what to do with every desire I've given you. And I know what to do with every broken piece when you're disappointed. You never guard your heart with me. I am the God of hope. So get your hopes up. And that transformed me that day because I began to be bolder in my prayers and bolder even outwardly. So when people would say, naturally, when you're pregnant with your third, they all go, oh, do you want a girl? Instead of being like, oh, I'm fine with Eva, I'd be like, yeah, I really believe it. I really do. I've got three boys at home. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. I really was bolder. Two boys and a husband also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I was bolder. You know what I mean? I was bolder with my faith. And I think that it helped me understand our God is a God of hope and we can get our hopes up. We don't have to play it safe and be realistic and be practical. A life of faith is not a life of practical. I think my hope is not in myself. My hope is in the God of hope. And that's ultimately, you know, what, where my hope comes from. For sure. So to link those two together with, uh, with running and your job, you have a very busy life, Christy, uh, not only just with all that's going on. You've got three children, husband. How do you manage family, career, life, and still find time for a run? How do you manage all those? Yeah, so it's so simple and it sounds so tactical, but it's because it's true and it works. I know my priorities. Everything is not created equal. I know what's important. I know what's first important, second important, so on. And so when push comes to shove, which it often does in anybody's life when they're busy, I know what makes the cut. So I know what I'm willing to protect and hold on to. And I know what I'm willing to let go of. I'll give you a non-time example. I'll give you an example of my house because this is so practical. So I've realized that Drew with three young kids, like it would be near impossible to keep my whole house clean at one time. If I would just be cleaning all the time. And that's not how I want to spend my life. So I've decided what I want to protect and what I want to let go of. The rooms that are important to me are the kitchen, the living room, and the bedroom. I want to keep those clean, and I work hard to keep them clean. The rooms I'm willing to let go of, bonus room, boys' room. And so when those rooms are a mess, because they're going to be a mess because there's kids in there, I walk in there, and I'm like, I don't feel like a victim. I don't feel guilty, like, oh, I should clean this up. I choose that mess. And I know that sounds crazy, but I do the same thing with my time. So instead of feeling like, oh, I'm guilty, I have to say no here, it's like, no, I choose the no for that thing so that I can say yes to this thing. And so knowing my priorities has allowed me to spend my time on what's most important to me. And then I'm really proud of how I spend my time. So I think a lot of people feel guilty because they're trying to do everything. It's like you can do anything, but you can't do everything. So just know what's important and actually make those a priority on your calendar. And then they'll actually happen. So I wake up every day and this is a new event. 
a new thing. I wake up every day at 5 a.m. And I go to bed every night at 10 p.m. So I know I get seven hours of sleep and I'm going to wake up at five. That allows me to have quiet time and run or work out this morning. I did like a Nike workout and that happens before my kids wake up. And so it actually happens because I made it a priority and made it happen on my calendar. Yeah, very well. Good stuff. I want to talk a little bit about 2020. Uh, to call this year different would be a massive <laughs> understatement. Just, uh, Bless. Yeah, I mean, they're all hanging on. It's been interesting. You were talking about Christian faith. That's something that, that you speak about often. How has your faith guided you, particularly the past three months? Well, that, I'll tell you a story that I heard at church. This was like a, a year ago. I think it was actually Father's Day last year. So it was almost exactly a year ago. And there was this coach. He was a former NFL coach. And he was telling this story about how his faith had developed. And he had been on this team. And there was this other player that was a really good player. And the player was a really strong Christian that kind of had mentored him. Well, this player got taken out in a game. Like, I mean, just got absolutely pummeled. They he took his knee out and they had him back in the, you know, locker room. They said, You'll never play football again to this player. This NFL player has been his whole career, you know, and it's just like that. It's gone. And so this coach who's telling the story goes into the room and he's like, How are you doing? Are you okay? And this player says, I'm excited. And he said, How can you be excited? Your whole career, your whole NFL, your dreams are over. And he said, Because I know that as a believer, Nothing happens in my life that has not been filtered through God's hands first. So I'm excited because if God did this, he's got something even better for me. And I thought, isn't that an incredible faith? So I think that that boldness, that confidence, that faith to say anything I experience, and we experience things that are difficult, that are tragic, that are awful. And certainly people are experiencing those right now and people have it way worse than I do. I think that if you have the faith that God is on his throne, God is in control, God knows everything and can do anything, then even when you are facing circumstances that seem anything but good, you know that your faith is not in your circumstances, it's in the God who is good, and you can cling to that. And so, you know, our life has been different. Like I said, it hasn't been near as hard as some people during this time, but I just take confidence in knowing that God is not in heaven wringing his hands. He's not worried. His heart rate isn't racing going, oh gosh, I didn't I didn't know about this. What are we going to do? He, he knows, and he's still in control. And so I just, I rest in that even if I don't understand it. Yeah. Awesome. Real quick, let's take a time check. How are we doing over here with time? We're thinking maybe 15 more minutes. Is that good? Okay. Awesome. I also want to make this be known that this is the only time I'm going to feel like Ron Burgundy in my life with <laughs> Veronica Corningstone to my left. <laughs> like this is the greatest setup ever for 615 and I just want to soak it in for a you minute. You need to get Heidi to do a video of us doing a Ron Burgundy. You stay classy, San Diego. Yeah, some <laughs> yep. That is where we're at right oh, now. With running so the it's a running the 615 highlight today. Please, please do that. Okay. So let, let's move into Nashville. This is a, a city where you uh, were born and raised. It's a big part of your life. You said earlier that you were, uh, you lived in Nashville when it wasn't cool. Now that yeah. it is. Tell me what, what do you feel is the most Nashville thing about you, Christy? So I know this is funny, but I have, <laughs> I have manners. <laughs> I know that's <laughs> What's Nashville about you? Actually, have manners, believe it or not. Nashville is so friendly. So Jenny um, Stuber, I think you met Jenny. She ran with us sometimes. It's now Deathridge. But she was the public relations director for Nashville for seven years. So she would have journalists come in from all over the world to Nashville to visit for tourism and that kind of thing, do write-ups in magazines. And she said the number one thing they would always say is how friendly Nashville was. And because I grew up here, I took that for granted. But I went away to college at the University of Central Florida in Orlando for a year and a half before I transferred to UT Knoxville and and graduated. And I thought Florida was just like 
Tennessee, but with palm trees and the beach. Like I thought it was going to be the South, but it's not. It's very Northern attitude. A lot of people from Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York. And so it's a Northern culture. Yeah. Like I would hold the door for people and they would just glare at me like, what, are you going to take my purse? Or you would smile at someone and they looked at you like you're about to jump them. And I thought that was so, guys, don't ask girls out. Don't hold open doors. Don't pay for dinners. Like it's like this, it's this weird different culture that I wasn't exposed to. But I think um, being raised in the South and specifically Nashville, just something as simple as like, simple as like friendliness and manners and kindness to strangers and going above and beyond to just be kind to people in the street is something that I've always known because I grew up here. But I think it's a Nashville thing. I think it, yeah. I think that it's not just our city's thing. It's it's part of what's made me who I am, why I value that, you know. Which is a good thing. Yeah, I noticed I went to high school in Ohio and, you know, to reference it to running, giving somebody a hand signal saying, hey, when you're running in the north, like it's just not done. And it's almost like, what are you doing? Like, I don't I don't know you. Like, like are you pointing at so something? So was it weird or? for you when someone did that for you the first time here in Nashville? So it wasn't only because, you know, my mom's from Alabama. My dad was from Kentucky. Oh, okay. So uh, Southern Roots. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Then went to college <laughs> in, uh, in Florence, Alabama. So I... I, I've always, lo- I would much rather be that way than, yeah. I loved Ohio. I love, I love where I went to high school. Great, very original, uh, funny people in Ohio where I went to school, but, uh, you know, friendliness and kindness is a lot more Nashville. Is there anything about you that you think is not Nashville? What's a non-Nashville thing about you? I don't know. I feel like it's pretty, I'm pretty conservative. I'm pretty conservative. I'm pretty old fashioned. And I feel like Nashville's getting more trendy, more big city, more, progressive more you know and a lot of those things are good things but i feel like i'm pretty traditional gotcha yeah so i think that that nashville's leaving me behind it's moving on (laughs) there you go okay great answer that's 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 a good a good reference if you were mayor of this city what is something that you would change christy oh gosh i mean this is so tactical but the freaking public transportation like it just we need some help we do (laughs) the traffic and the the infrastructure our city has grown so fast and we have not kept up with it with transportation and so i don't even know what i would do because i don't even know what that means drew i'll be honest i don't even know what that means but i know that it needs to be fixed (laughs) it's a great answer and it's it's been it's been an answer before but it's true though because i mean you go to atlanta you go to chicago i mean those are a little bit bigger cities but still like the the transportation is part of the city like it kind of comes with it we just 440 somebody just fix 440 we don't even well the thing is like we don't have it here so like i mean anything i think would be better so totally it's a good answer are you a music fan yeah okay give me one of your favorite artists or bands that you listen to well i mean this is so cliche but i love some taylor swift like i'm a big taylor Swift. also a swifty just a big fan but you know what's funny is the concerts i think you asked about concerts but the concerts that i have been to that have been my favorite are concerts that i didn't go to for me so i'll tell you the three of the top concerts i've ever been to I took Matt for him. Like it was either a Father's Day or a birthday or Christmas. Zach Brown was at Bridgestone. Unbelievable live. Like just incredible live. Eric Clapton. We saw him before he stopped touring. Considered one of the best guitar players of all time. Matt's favorite. Matt's absolute favorite. And I got him tickets, you know. And then this was at Nashville, but Chris Stapleton at Thompson Bowling in Knoxville. I took Matt for his birthday. All three were presents for him. They were like my top three concerts ever. They were so good. There you go. Follow your husband's (laughs) ear and you're going to get some good shows. There you go. So what would you say is the best concert you've seen in Nashville? Zach Brown, is that you said? Zach Brown's up there, but I would say uh, Keith Urban. Keith Urban. Yeah. Oh, he's an entertainer for sure. Yeah. We, we, saw, we went to see and him for like New a, Years. He was great. I was great. like a decent fan before then. It's not like I have all his albums or listen to his music all the time. I like him. But when you see him live, and I think that's a true musician, you like him going in and you leave loving them. 
You know what I mean? That's a right. that's yeah. fun. Well, he's got the best rock star hair ever too, and you get to really appreciate <laughs> Talk about guitar that player. Line. Oh, uh, absolutely, unbelievable no, guitar yeah, player. Uh, absolutely great. So hypothetical, you and Matt can go see any band in the world tonight. Ryman Auditorium, front row seats. Who are you guys going to see? Oh, I'll tell you who he would. We would not pick the same people. Okay, First, who would he go, and then who would you go? Old Crow Medicine Show. We have seen them so many times, and he he celebrates loves their them entire so catalog. Much. <laughs> <laughs> he loves them so much. And I'm like, I like one or two songs, but you know, what is, they've got one song. Is it like sick? I'm on a chicken or something. I'm like, what are we doing? Like, what, what is... Pretty sure we've seen this show before. <laughs> oh my gosh. So that would be him. Don't uh, take that personal, Matt. You got a great ear for me. Oh, he does. He does. And he loves like the, what it like sixties or seventies rock. Like he, he knows music. Well, he loves music for me. It would be someone just like very cliche, like Taylor Swift, or I love Carrie Underwood. I love any, just the female country musicians. You know, I went to see Garth when he did that 10 day post flood thing. And All I mean, right. he's classic. So that's, yep. you know, top for sure. But I love old country for me, nineties country, 90s, early 2000 country, the Shania Twain, the Garth Brooks, like that's kind of what I grew up listening to. So that's always my go-to other than the obvious, like Dave Matthews kind of staples, John Mayer, sure. you know, Jack Johnson kind Man, of stuff. Any, well, any of those, Taylor Swift of the Ryman, that'd be super cool. Good stuff, Christy. We are going to move into what we call running the 615 speed sessions. Did you ever take, I feel like the answer is yes. Did you ever take speed sessions with Fleet Feet when Mark Miller coached that? I did. Yeah, I did. It seems like a lifetime ago, but For yes, sure. I did. <laughs> so that was, I was what we call his assistant, which means I got to bring the, the hydration and yell at people <laughs> while you guys ran in circles. But I loved, I loved being a part of that and just kind of watching people improve. This is um, running the 615 speed session. So it's quick questions, quick answers, whatever answer you feel like suits you best. Do you know, Christy, what is the fastest mile you've ever run in your life? The only one I have to go through is high school, which was 615. Yes, that is fast. I said it before. I'll say it again. Christy Brown Wright <laughs> is a fast runner. Okay, you ready? Yes. Quick questions. Here we go. I thought that was one of them. Okay, I'm ready. No, that was, no that's just a <laughs> that's precursor. A you get six minutes and 12 seconds to do all these questions. That's what it is. Okay. Actually, I made that up. You can have, you can have all the time you want. All right, here we go. Would you rather run on the roads, trails, or track? Trails. Are you an early bird or a night owl? Early bird. What is your favorite Nashville restaurant? Ooh, Edley's. At least barbecue. Love it. Coffee, tea, soda, water, or alcohol. You get to pick one. <laughs> alcohol. Yeah. What alcoholic drink? What's your favorite drink? You know, I learned this in East Nasty, but I really like craft beer. Oh, like yeah. I, I think I was like a Miller Lite drinker before East Nasty. And then it's like, then I learned how to drink good beer. So I like, Funny yeah. enough, we were in East Nasty the same time. My favorite is Bud Light. Okay. So clearly <laughs> you, didn't you learn took that, that two places. Awesome. <laughs> I think Hunter is the one that like, I got oh, a Miller Hunter. Light no, and he was like, you're what, 100% right. what are you doing? What are you doing? This is embarrassing. Please do better. <laughs> he knows, he knows his craft beers. Absolutely. Uh, breakfast, lunch, or dinner? Dinner. Dogs or cats? Oh, <laughs> dogs. That's not even a question. Definitely dogs. Oh, here's a good one. Are you a talker or a listener? I mean, I think we... by profession, we'll go with talker. <laughs> I need to answer that one. Uh, beach or mountains? Beach. What annoys you? Well, I don't know why this is so hard. They, all kinds of things annoy me. People have answered everything on this before. You can just pick something maybe even small that annoys you. Um, I'll tell you what really I can't get over. It's just people with a really big ego. Mm -hmm. It just drives me crazy. I just feel this need to put them in their place to get off their horse. I don't yep. like it when people are egotistical. Agreed. Here we go. Something that is not good for you that you do anyway. Ugh, procrastinate everything. I just procrastinate everything. All right. Reverse that. Something that is good for you that you wish you did more of. 
I think just consistency. I'm an all or nothing person. So it's like when I'm working out, I'm working out every day. When I'm not, it's like I'm eating Oreos by the sleeve on the couch. Like I would just love to have some consistency and I'm just that it's hard. That's hard yeah. for me. God, I wish Oreos were good for you. Like, I just <laughs> like, I truly wish that. Uh, Segway, would you rather have cookie or candy? Cookie. What kind of cookie? Chocolate chip. Yes. What's your favorite sports team? UT Balls. Go Balls. Balls. What is your dream vacation spot? Somewhere very tropical where the, like an island where like the, the house is like on the beach. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like on the water. People have said Bora Bora on this before and no one when they say that even knows where Bora Bora is. I don't either. Nor do I. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> we'll figure it out up? one day. Actress who should play you in a movie about you. Cameron Diaz. Yes. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> Absolutely. Great answer. Favorite TV show or movie of all time? Dirty Dancing. Oh, great one. Best way to recover after a long or difficult run? Oh, gosh. I learned this in East Nasty as well. Ice baths, man. They're so painful, but they really work. They will make you use bad language. Yeah. You just got to get over the first minute. Then you're numb. There you go. You just got to get through one minute of terrible, and then the rest is fine. And you do feel better afterwards, 100%. But what are you afraid of? I know this sounds silly, but like literally scary movies. Yeah. Like, I mean, I've got deeper fears, I'm sure, but like, I can't watch scary movies. I can't watch scary shows. I can't even watch like the news when it's really bad. Like it gets in my head and it, it doesn't get out. Or being in a cabin in Athens, Alabama <laughs> and the power goes out. That's where it comes out. from. See, there you that's go. where it comes from. It has stuck with me. One scary movie I saw when I was 18, it stuck with me. Music or no music when you run. Music. Watch or no watch when you run. Usually watch, but sometimes I'll deliberately not, not wear it. Right. What is the best part of living in Nashville? Might have covered it already. Being with my family. I mean, the fact that I'm from here, I just have such deep roots, you know? Right. Uh, would you rather go on an airplane or a road trip? Road trip. Something you would like to do before you die. Ooh. I So I want to do a marathon out in like, Cal, like is it the Redwoods? All like, right. Like there's some like really cool marathons out in like the West Coast. I want to do a marathon out there. One of the things I wanted to do before I die was cage dive with sharks and Matt gave me a gift card and we did that in Hawaii oh. one year. So like, and then I wanted to go hang gliding and he got me a gift card for that. So Matt's checking off my bucket list with like gift cards places, but mm -hmm. there's a really cool, there's some really cool marathons out on the West Coast that I want to do. Listen, He does. There you go. Good job, Matt. <laughs> This whole podcast is really just complimenting Matt, right? That's really the goal. <laughs> um, what makes you happy, Christy? Being with my family. That's the best. Awesome. What has running taught you? That you can do hard things. I think people sit out thinking they can't do hard things. You can do hard things. Mm -hmm. What is a misconception about you? Uh, that I'm not sensitive. I come off as like really aggressive and intense, but I like actually like am really sensitive. Good one. What's your favorite holiday? Christmas. Yep. Hugh Mundy's answer, Labor Day. No. No. Hugh. <laughs> I, I think you wanted here, to Hugh. be Do the over. only one that ever answers that question. <laughs> Do over. In life. What a funny guy. What is something in life that people get wrong? And what I mean by that is sometimes people are like, oh, man, like I got a pretty grasp on that. And you're like, no, that's that's actually not that's actually not true. I'm on this confidence kick right now. And I think people confuse confidence with like having an ego or, or being um, self-centered. And I think confidence is just a willingness to try. I think confidence is a hope in the future. You know what I mean? I think that there's some misconceptions about that. I'm kind of on this kick right now trying to help people build confidence. So I guess that's what's came to mind. Mm -hmm. Good. Who inspires you? I have several people that inspire me in different ways. So I would say I got to know Christine Kane really well in the Propel Women's Tour, and she's really incredible. My husband and his kindness, like he's so, like you said, he's so kind mm -hmm. and he's so full of grace. He's so much nicer than I am. And that really like inspires me to be nicer, you know? When you say the Propel Tour, you're not talking about the drink <laughs> Propel? <laughs> no. Because if there's a tour about it, you're I, in. <laughs> I want to be on that tour. Okay. Uh, do you have a favorite book or a favorite quote? 
Yes. One of my favorite books, I have Mark of the Lion series by Francine Rivers. She also wrote Redeeming Love, but there's a bunch of books. You have a national bestseller book, right? I do. Yeah, that's on my top five. Yeah. <laughs> totally just wanted to put that out there. Uh, what is one piece of advice you would give your younger self? You can go talk to Christy right after she gets done running on the roller skate rink. What are you going to tell her? It's going to turn out okay. Just all the things that I worried about. You know what I mean? We worry about so much stuff, and I probably need to remember that now. Like, it's going to turn, you're going to be okay. I love it. What is the best advice you could give someone about money? You work for Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey helps people with money. What's your best advice you could give someone? There's a better way than living paycheck to paycheck. There's a lot of people that think that that's just normal, just drowning in debt and barely getting by. And they don't know there's a better way. So they just accept that. But it's like, there's a better way. You don't have to live like that. Great. What is your favorite race distance? You could pick any distance. What's your favorite? Half marathon. Yeah, uh, me too. Great answer. Would you rather run in the hot or run in the cold? Hot. Mm-hmm. You live in Nashville. That's a good answer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, high fives, hugs, or fist bumps. You can pick one. High five. Yep. Last one, Christy Brown Wright. What is the purpose of life? Oh, gosh. It's a small one. Just real quick. What's the purpose? Mine is, mine is going to be very obvious for anybody that has made it this far in our conversation. I think it's to be who God called you to be. You know, like as a believer to me. We're put on this earth to be more like Jesus and to point people to Jesus. So that's, it's a Bible answer, but it's, it's what I believe. Yeah. Uh, Thank you, Christy, for uh, being on the podcast. I was really excited to get to interview you. I'm really proud of you for all the things you've accomplished in the past 10 years. East Nasty was probably the first domino that I feel like is what (laughs) really got you a great husband. It got you some confidence to get up in front of thousands of people. But yeah, I I love listening to your shows. I just think you're really good at what you do. And that's a a neat thing to have, I know, in life. And I think you're a great kind of ambassador for Nashville along the way. But Mm -hmm. I appreciate you being a part of this show. And I know a lot of our guests are going to enjoy listening to you, hopefully when they're out on a run. You're so kind, Drew. And it was so fun when you texted me because I got so excited because it's like these happy memories of East Nasty. But I joke with my husband all the time. I'm like, and people talk about the five love languages. I'm like, is enthusiasm a love language? Because that's like one of mine. And you're one of the most enthusiastic people I know. So I just, I'm so grateful for your friendship. Thanks for coming up here to this. <laughs> We're in Dave Ramsey's studio in case you didn't know. Good news for Dave Ramsey. <laughs> All running the 615 episodes will be recorded from here going forward. So that's great. Thank you and Lovely you're welcome. Lovely AV staff here that's been a part of this. I don't know who I need to talk to about that, but you guys are the winner of my new studio for running the 615. Why well, I even took a shower today for this. Thank you, Christy. This was super fun, and uh, please tell Matt Wright he's my favorite. Oh, well, thanks for being here.